Hello and welcome to Credit Shift News and Update. I'm Paul Sweeney, co-founder and chief strategy officer here at Webio, and I am joined again today by my co-host, fellow founder and CEO, Cormac O'Neill. Hey Paul, how are you doing? Great to be here again today. Indeed, more news. Big news week this week. So lots of stories, lots of uh, news coming from the industry. So let's jump right in. In general industry news, the UK economy showed no growth in the third quarter of this year, indicating a potential prolonged period of economic stagnation and possibly entering a recession. This stagnation comes after a modest 0.2% in the previous quarter. Compared to the same period last year, the economy is only 0.6% larger, as reported by the Office for National Statistics. The UK's struggling economy reflects similar trends seen across Europe. In the third quarter, the Eurozone economies experienced a contraction of 0.1%. Germany, as the largest economy in the bloc, narrowly escaped entering a recession. This economic strain is largely due to the soaring energy prices and a decline in demand for industrial products. The situation is exasperated by high interest rates across the region, uh, a measure taken to combat inflation. These rates are in turn dampening economic activity, as you would expect, evidenced by a decrease in loan demand and slowdown in consumer spending. In other news, a recent UK survey by the Money and Pension Service found that 30% of adults had missed a payment in 2023, with 14% experiencing this for the first time. Credit card payments were most frequently missed, followed closely by utilities, council tax and overdrafts or loans. Additionally, a small percentage struggled with rent or mortgage payments. Interestingly, only 62% would approach their creditor to discuss their issues, while 15% would not take any action if faced uh, with financial difficulties. Step Change, the debt charity, has identified a worrying trend. More women are seeking debt advice, with 64% of their clientele being female in the first half of 2023, a rise from 60% in 2021. The cost of living has been a significant concern, especially for women, with 28% highlighting it as their main worry in 2023, a figure that has seen a sharp increase from previous years. A staggering 88% of single parents seeking advice are women, which may be influenced by the fact that women with children typically earn 14% less than their male counterparts. I think there might be some other reasons involved in that. Um, But we're reflecting on Cormac that, um, again, general economic outlook, not great. So so here's what's happening, Paul. Um, we are having echoes of 2007 and 2008 all over again. Here is what I'm hearing, right? But um, but don't worry, folks. Everything's going to be fine. Once you hear the economist talking about soft landings, which is now what yeah. I'm hearing on the Sunday shows, do not worry. It's going to be fine. Remember the last time they spoke about soft landings and it ended up being like getting a, a right hook from like Mike Tyson or or Tyson Fury. Um, I just uh, and I was listening to it on Sunday. Um, and they the, they were talking about this. So you know, it's good. Don't worry, folks. Soft landings. Everything's going to be fine. 
be afraid, be very afraid would be my advice um, because I have no idea what a soft landing even means. Um, and I'm not sure if, if uh, I certainly haven't saw one. Um, if 2007, 2008 is anything to go by, um, you know, it's just the same language uh, starting again. So I think there's some trouble ahead. Yeah, look, we've been following the the signs throughout the year here and the, you know, the amount of savings going down, then you get into the winter months and then the interest rates. I mean, these are just bigger trends that, you know, they, they're like a tsunami in that they come in very slow and steady, but they, they really wreck everything in their wake. Now, look, I, I guess maybe what will... Uh, ease the pain a wee bit as we may get into a, a rate cycle decrease somewhere in, in 2024 and that might put some money back in people's pockets um, but from a soft landing point of view I, don't, just, I just don't see that happening um, Yeah, st- still not a budge on house prices either uh, house prices stubbornly high um, across the UK and Ireland obviously Ireland had its experience with house price um, madness and and here we are again. Yeah, like so I think that one is a simple supply and demand. Uh, I can only talk about Ireland because, you know, that's the market we're in here. But um, like house prices will fall if the demand, if the supply is exceeds the demand, right? If you go back to 20, 2007 and eight, we were building houses on everything you could find. You could build a house on a postage stamp. You know, we were building that many. So there was so much supply in the marketplace that when the downturn came, house prices just took a nosedive because, you know, they, they, were, they, they were knocking housing estates. Like we all remember ghost estates and all of that. So there doesn't appear to be that same supply to meet the demand. So therefore, house prices are staying, as you put it yourself, Paul, stubbornly high. So, um, you know, again, I'm no economist at all at all, but, you know, logic tells you if you don't have enough supply and the, the demand is greater, prices will remain high. I think that's just 101, isn't it? So It is. It's uh, uh, keeping uh, or depressing a lot of other items too, like the ability to uh, have younger people in city centres, um, to have people where good jobs are, where they can, and to be able to hire people because um, people can't afford accommodation. So th- this has widespread implications. All right, moving on to section two, uh, my regular section on buy now, pay later, fintech and related. Um, this week saw Klarna posting its Q3 2023 results with credit losses as a percentage of gross merchandise value or GMV reduced 56% due to continuous improvements in underwriting, precision and accuracy, ensuring Klarna continues to make the right lending decisions for consumers while at the same time delivering 30% revenue growth. Klarna were emphasizing their partnerships with the likes of Airbnb as examples of pathways to even greater future growth and profitability. Klarna has also pointed a spotlight on Klarna shopping lens, where users can capture an image of desired items and then instantly locate where to purchase them and through the best deals on the Klarna app. Another company in the similar space, Affirm Holdings saw shares surge by 25% on Thursday as strong demand for the buy now, pay later services and high interest rates underpinned quarterly results that 
beat analyst estimates. A firm's gross merchandise value rose 28% to 5.6 billion, which allowed net revenues to jump 37% to 496 million for the quarter ending September 30th. The company's net loss narrowed to 171 million, down nearly 32% from a loss of 251 million the previous year. This week also saw the European Parliament and Council reach a consensus on regulation to introduce the European digital identity wallets. The new mandate will require all major online platforms, including Amazon, Facebook, Booking.com, to accept the EU digital identity wallet as a method for user authentication. Beyond just digital identity storage, these wallets will enable users to perform a variety of functions. They can hold open banking details, execute payments, and store digital versions of important documents like mobile driving licenses, medical prescriptions, and professional certificates. This development marks a significant leap forward in streamlining and securing digital interactions and transforming that across the EU. This is a really big uh, potential disruptor in, in digital onboarding and all, for, all forms of digital services. So really going to follow up on that one. A, a thing that caught my eye during the week, Cormac, was in terms of cool new innovative services, uh, was and, and looking at the role that social supports play in many of people's lives in, in the debt and collection space in particular, a firm called Social Card from Germany caught our attention. It's a balance-based debit card from Visa and is a way to pay out social benefits quickly and digitally to recipients that don't have a German bank account. The, the, the benefit recipient can freely decide whether they receive the social card as a physical card for their wallet or as a digital card for integration into their smartphone, say with your Apple or Google Pay. Authorities or administrations can create cards once in the social card cockpit and then automatically receive an associated IBAN to which the cash benefits can easily be paid out via an SEPA or SEPA transfer. So that's just an example of how these digital uh, wallets are, are really going to be uh, a disruptive. Yeah, that's pretty cool, that one. All right. Yeah. So from, yeah that, uh, all right. So you're the recipient of some form of social benefit, right? From reading this, right? Or listening to you, right? You don't have a bank account, which, okay, you don't have a bank account, fair enough. Um, so the way, instead of you having to walk into a post office or some institution to get your cash, um, you get the amount of your social benefit transferred to this social card. Um, okay, that's quite interesting. And this social card acts like any form of credit card or Apple Pay or Google Pay. Yeah, it, it's going to act like cool. that. And, and I think combined with the other... Uh, story here on digital wallets, I think you can kind of start to see that there's going to be a change in how these, um, like how our mobile phone is going to hold basically your digital certificates, your, like if you're a doctor or a nurse or a driving, uh, a truck driver, whatever, yeah. your certificates will be in your so, digital wallet. Yeah. So, so just let me play it. Devil's advocate here and listen for a second, right? Just, just for because you know it's it's uh, it's Friday and why not, right? So, 
if I'm in receipt of um, social benefits and I don't have a bank account um, and I get cash is how I would normally get it. I'm just going to assume again, I'm referring to Ireland here or various things. Do I want somebody to know where I'm spending my money? Right. Um, obviously, if you get cash, it's not it's not traceable. You know, if I have this card, does that mean Big Brother knows exactly where I'm spending my money? Um, mm. Because I've to use the card to spend it. I'm just I'm not making mm. any assumptions. Sure, here. sure. Um, but you know, uh, is uh, you know, is there potential reluctance maybe of some people to to sign up to this for that? very reason I don't know I I don't know Cormac but I I think um, I mean we haven't gone into this uh, or publicly but the idea here of of people's planning uh, for how they spend money and how they pay off bills and stuff a lot of people's personal accounting is based on various benefits they get from you know the uh, the the government or uh, other organizations, semi-states, yeah. or, you know, organizing around that. And I, I've seen that where people don't receive their benefits or they're delayed or they're not issued for yeah. various reasons, that really has a dramatic impact on people's ability to pay their bills on time. Sure does. And, yeah. um, and, and so I think anything that can digitize that process um, even like putting a request against something that didn't happen, it like is. I was due to get this, it hasn't happened. If you were able to do that in a digital wallet, that would be just a such a streamlined and streamlinable process. And, um, you know, anytime you've dealt with a, a bureaucracy of that kind of scale, or literally, I think it's 120, we had this number before, there's some astronomical amount of people working in the Department of Pensions in yeah. the UK. Um, and, and so I, I think that anything that can be used to streamline the interaction that you've got the right documentation, you filled out the forms correctly, there isn't a missing digit on your number or something like that, but anything that can streamline that process and make those payments happen faster, I, I think the benefits of, uh, of being able to organize yourself are kind of higher than any concerns about whether you spent yeah, it in it's, and, and it's, baby food or yeah. off licenses. That's fair, that's fair enough. Um, in other kind of sector news, uh, Everyday People Financial from Canada is expanding its reach. Their branch BPO Collections is set to acquire Arvato Financial Solutions UK. Arvato is known for its expertise in managing receivables, particularly with regulated sectors like financial services, utilities, telecoms, and debt purchasing. This uh, move makes, it pretty much marks another significant move in the industry. Um, I think Cormac, internationalization is a trend that we're seeing here. Some consolidation is a trend we're seeing here. Yeah, I think we might have, we might have tipped, uh, touched on this in previous um, discussions. But certainly consolidation is something we're seeing in the credit connections industry, right? Um, and we're going to continue to see that. I think we're going to continue to see um, more and more uh, kind of like the, the mid to smaller uh, DCAs or people in collections get get acquired. Um, it's, a, it's, a, um, it's a small margin business, a tight margin business to operate off of, right? So, and if you can invest in in technology to to modernize your solutions, you're gonna you're gonna you know uh, 
being a, being a bit of struggle, we're going to struggle. Yeah, so we're going to see a bit more of this consolidation happening. Avarto um, is a great company, as we know. They obviously they they um, manage their receivables exceptionally well, as they use WebEOS technology. So just a small little plug there for WebEOS. Oh, Did that. you not know that, Paul? No, I just <laughs> thought I'd uh, thought I'd bring that to your attention. There, so obviously they're, they're obviously they're best in class in terms of the uh, technology oh. they're using. Now, but. Uh, they are a great company and that could be interesting to, to see how that goes. It, it is interesting. Uh, the access to the next level of technology is um, we are at that game changing moment of uh, digitization of services. And that digitization of services is now even being further turbocharged with the new Gen AI stuff. And I know we mentioned this a lot. It might seem like it's the only game in town. But when you really dig into this stuff, uh, the sheer transformation capability that's that's embedded in this kind of um, technology is just incredible. Uh, I was just listening to the uh, uh, the the Synthedia podcast with Brett uh, Kinsella yesterday, and he was going through the OpenAI um, announcements, which I'll I'll talk about in a second. He was really making the point that a really early winner in this is going to be uh, programmers and programmers using the new um, co-pilot on GitHub and Microsoft. Uh, the, the Brett is in a lot of conversations and he says, look, the benefits are just huge. The impacts are massive. And this is a like a game changer. This is a whole step change in uh, in programming capabilities and it's going to be the same for for marketing people it's going to be the same for salespeople coming off calls the the gen ai technology is just going to change the game it's it's absolutely a game changer which is a, a nice segue into part three here where we normally talk about either ai or reports that we've come across and this week really there is no other news in town other than the open ai announcements uh, it includes a significant update to their AI model, customizable. Yeah, because their existing, yeah, their existing one was shit, right? So well, therefore they had to upgrade it. It just didn't it, work. It was it was awful. Um, <laughs> it, it was, was terrible. 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 So it it's a, a great uh, new update. Um, they've got new capabilities with digital assistants. They've improved their speech synthesis and upgraded their Whisper AI technologies. And all this has caused a stir in the industry, particularly among startups that rely on OpenAI, as their offerings, the OpenAI's offerings, tends to now incorporate a lot of tooling and a lot of kind of processes and related things. So it's leaving less and less room for their kind of startups to uh, to partner with them to do specific things. And so... I think this strategy of OpenAI is really starting to look a lot to me like the um, the Alexa rollout. Like it's it it's the same sort of winning developers um, offering the same sort of tooling, trying to get them to the same programs, building the same sort of incentive right. packages. So it 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 looks a lot like that. Um, however, uh, I think this strategy presents a potential. Like, uh, uh, like OpenAI wants to be your full 
package. Like they want to be the language model. They want to be the tooling. They want to be the the source of everything for your large language model. And they want to do everything. Yeah. And it's a good way to get started, I think. Like if you want to see what you might be able to do. But I think the strategy of kind of going all in on open AI has like real limitations. Uh, and I think it builds in a lot of strategic inflexibilities in the future. So if you are especially kind of, uh, how would you say, sens- not sensitive, but if you're the kind of industry that's really going to be impacted by generative AI technology, I think you really need to think about that future flexibility that you that you have as a result of making current decisions. So industries like financial services, retail, um, you know, I, I don't see how you can have a capability like Gen AI and and have it completely all with one company and whatever they do, you've got to do. I, 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 however they build it, however they tweak it, that I think you're you're, you're limiting yourself there. Um, a, a kind of a, this happens, but early in the week, or actually yesterday, there was a um, a denial of service attack on uh, on OpenAI, and they were down, which is which, which happens. happens. Like yep. if you're a big company, you're growing your target. But I, I think what came out from that was that some companies had accessed OpenAI through the Microsoft Azure platform, and some had gone direct. And again, in conversations with people in the industry after the event, it, it, it seems to me that enterprises are absolutely not going to go direct to um, OpenAI. They're going to, if they're going to go down the OpenAI route, they're going to go do it through Azure services, Microsoft, Microsoft Azure, and benefit from the security and the service level agreements and all the other, other things that Microsoft will do. So I, I'm, I'm, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a it's a hugely impactful, rapidly changing market. Um, it's easy to make kind of fast decisions at this point in time and maybe take a step in the wrong way. But from our point of view, um, I think we think you should be kind of model agnostic and you should have as much control over the tooling as you can possibly have because um, every single business is different and We've seen this in industry after industry. As companies get bigger and as they roll out a solution across their business, they need more and more customization. They need more and more specific things tweaked for their requirements. And that's why there's always going to be a role for very targeted, industry-specific providers who know exactly what that industry needs and how to give it to them and how to control it in the right way. So I, I think it's a topic worth exploring. Um, I'm kind of thinking about bringing in maybe one or two industry experts on uh, Gen AI, Open AI, and get them into a conversation and maybe have a discussion about you know which way should people go? Like should they go, you know, Open AI? Should they go Azure? Should they go with someone like Webio? Like what are the trade offs for people here? Um, I think it'd be a good conversation. We might try and make that happen. E- either way, the week has been um, phenomenal in terms of the progress in in uh, OpenAI's uh, uh, capabilities. We're probably going to see something similar coming up from um, from Microsoft very soon. 
uh, in the next couple of weeks. We'll also see something coming up from um, Amazon Web Services as they roll out theirs. So this is a, like you're going to see 18 months of just constantly developing developments is is what I would say. Yeah, yeah. Look, I think that, you know, OpenAI, it's starting to resemble uh, almost like a black hole that's just sucking everything into it. I mean, if you're a startup in this area now, you really got to put some thought into where your your unique selling point here is and how you're going to succeed and how you're going to be different to what somebody can get from, you know, an open AI that just has got, you know, for me are just so far ahead uh, in a lot of things. Now, I think at Webio we're doing all right. I think we are in terms of where we're focusing and and the particular niche that we're in um, uh, is a good moat for us. But if you're a startup, um, either thinking about starting up or currently starting up in this area, the rapid development and functionality and, and improvements that these guys are doing you know, it has to be pretty, pretty scary, right? Um, you know, there's, there's, there's no doubt about that. I mean, to, to straight out of the box, one that I remember using was six, eight months ago now was pretty darn good back then. And the improvements they've made to it is just mind blower, like, you know, so, um, you know, it's great for, great for enterprises that are looking to adopt and use AI and Gen AI and that type of technology. I mean, it's great, great for them because, um, you know, to, to, it just gives them so much options. But you know, thinking about um the little old startups out there, um, yeah, that are in this area. Well, I, I think um for ourselves, Cormac, we've always kind of looked at it as um the the Gen AI, the conversational AI works with other things to deliver benefits. Um, and I gave a. I gave a talk during the week, actually, to a um, a German company, um, which had a which has hundreds of thousands of employees and over one thousand people in their digital transformation um, department. Like they have a whole unit just uh, focused on their own digital transformation, and they were really interested in the way that we mapped out our our custom language model, how we made that work with the dialogue manager, and then how we made it work with our own intent engine, and then combined it with the API. And like just working with the LLM in a kind of a state machine that can give you a formal process and make sure that you're, you're making the right kind of decisions really opened their eyes up to how this could be used and how it could be wrapped and embedded so i i think that even for very large companies they they don't always um you know you, you think that they they've all the best reports they've all access to the, the best um advice in the world but they don't always know the the details of how these things are emerging either so it's um it's no harm i think to just listen in read a couple of papers talk to a couple of people and try and Try and figure out what your own strategic orientation is to this uh, technology, and you can start to to, uh, to build a framework that allows you to decide where and how you want to get into this game and experiment, and where you want to experiment. And I think we've made reference to a couple of reports um, over the credit shift um, updates as to where people are seeing the benefits and maybe how how you can get a certain distance to kind of trial it out and then maybe roll back and then 
figure out, okay, what's our, you know, what's our longer term position with, with this? Um, and I, I think that I, I'm aware of in the early days, if you were a startup and you built your early stack on Amazon, you're pretty much staying with Amazon. Like it's very difficult to move from the Amazon stack once you're in there. If you start building on the Microsoft stack, then that's where you're going to stay over there. And I think there's a similar uh, sort of stickiness uh, involved here. If you start with one sort of offer, one sort of area, um, I, I, I think that um, there's a big there's a big trade off down the line, and there's some value in in making sure that you abstract yourself away from that. Yeah. Anyway, folks, it's been a long week for everybody. Um, I think uh, it's a, a lot happening everywhere all around us in the world. Uh, every week we try and bring you some information to put on your radar, little things that might pique your interest and might form part of your strategic plans for the longer term. We're all getting into that season now where we're going to be reviewing our own strategic plans. If anyone wants to reach out, Maybe ask me a couple of questions about things that I can maybe uh, give them some advice on. Please do. Otherwise, check out the website at webio.com to find out what's going on with us. And other than that, I hope you have a good week. <laughs>